The Search Says Podcast is brought to you by Bruetta Tea, organic, natural, loose-leaf tea that comes in a patented tumbler, so you never get the tea leaves. Instead, you just get the tea. Find us at Bruetta.com. That's B-R-U-E-T-T-A.com. And now, everybody, MC Search. MC Search. MC Search. MC Search. MC Search. Search will never stand still. Welcome, everybody. To uh, the Search Search Podcast, my name is MC Search. Welcome all of y'all. Um, this is also the first time we'll be doing this official, like a ref of the whistle through the clubhouse uh, thingamajiggy app as well. Uh, it's kind of like an invitation scenario. Uh, the voice you hear is Questo, and I'm going to bring him up now. I'm just going to not even waste any time. Ladies and gentlemen, Questo's in the building. How you doing? How are you, sir? Good to see you. Uh, happy New Year, with your, first of all. Your, your, your theme and your, 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 um, your title card. Let me tell you something. It's very official. And, and speaking of official, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Bruetta Tea. Um, Bruetta makes the most natural teas in the world. They are handmade, organic. They have a custom. I have my tumbler around here somewhere. It's amazing. But um, go to Bruetta.com and um, you can get some amazing teas. You don't have to worry about buying that, Questo. That's a gift that's coming your way. All AT teas. Because I know you and Gracie love teas. Yes. And we have a custom tumbler. I'm going to show you my tumbler. It's somewhere. But it says tea bags get the gas face. And I know that sounds like a double entendre. <laughs> but it's not. Because this is the only you know custom tea that does not have um, you know tea bags and all that good stuff. So uh-huh. it's... It's all good. It's all good. Anyway, welcome to the show. Um, and welcome wow, man, to you, you're, you, out, out of all the uh, podcasts I've done since um, quarantining and COVID, this this is official, man. You, you I am official you like a ref with a whistle, as you no, say. No, uh, no, no feedback sound. No uh, echo. No. No, this is this is a real live studio. That's right. A real live studio. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm Thank impressed. you, brother. And um, it's uh, it's so good to have you here because you were such a kind, wonderful host to me for Quest Love Supreme. Uh, I believe, I, and I might be wrong, I'm still the only person to do the show more than twice. Now that might be uh, wrong. There's my guys. We we've you you are our very first uh, repeat guest, but. I won't. Well, we got Jimmy I, Jam and uh Well, I'm in good company basically. Yeah, yeah. MC Search, Legends Jimmy only. Jam. Legends only. Yeah. Legends only come back more than more than twice. Um I am going to talk to you about the Latin Quarter cuz I know how much you like to talk about that. I love def- it. <laughs> but let's talk about you real quick because I got to uh ask you a really interesting question that came up in a in a conversation I had with some of your homies from back in Philly. Um Obviously, there's a great history of music from Philly, Gamble and Huff. Right. Obviously, you know, all of that. But equally, there is a tremendous amount of DJs that came from Philly. Undeniably, just not only turntablists, but DJs. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. are Philly 
better known for DJs or musicians? Um, you know, I think a lot of people just don't know that um that we have a deep history in musicianship. I know the one thing that we do know, and if especially if you're um if you're a sports fan, mm-hmm. um, you know that Philly is passionate, and we also have um, chip on our shoulder. So that said, why is uh, that? Because the Eagles suck, and the Phillies <laughs> suck. Is that why? <laughs> yeah, we suck. At, hey, I'm sorry. I, I hate to betray. Yeah. No, no, no. But I, I just, hey, listen. I just want to ask the questions. You well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying that in terms of, um, in terms of, I, I personally think that it's, it's, um, that it's based on, um, us having to outdo Big Brother. Mm-hmm. I know in the case of the Roots, um, even though I mean there was established Philly history with. Will and Jeff and and three times dope and you know steady fresh going Miz and yeah all those cats we we just always felt like um we had to be as good as new as New York you know and it, it also didn't help that um when we first started um there was. There was a um, an article in the stores in which they were asking Cypress Hill um, about the city of Philadelphia because they recorded their um, first right, two. Because R- Rough House was in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Rough House. Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so well at the time they were they were um, they had a, a spot in downtown Philly, and you know they didn't they didn't have much. They didn't have like tour guides or anything. They just had the hotel. In the studio, so naturally, when the source asked them, like, "So, t- you know, what was it like making this record in Philly?" Uh, immediately, B. Real's answer was, "Philly's whack, yo." So- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a yo. Know, it's a fucking shame that he said that. It's such a I mean, violation. I, it, well, only because I knew I knew the Holiday Inn. No, I know the Sheridan that they had to stay in. Right. And of course, I, I would have said the same thing if all I knew was like a rundown Sheridan on Columbus Boulevard and that studio, you know? Yeah, I'd say it's whack too. You have the right tour guides there. So, but I don't know. We always use that article as inspiration. So for us, it was like, oh man, the world, the world of hip hop thinks we're whack. So we got to be just as good as them. And Tariq really, he didn't take it to heart. Like, ah, they're dissing our city. But um, I know that that set off in him a need to performatively prove that he's a worthy MC. So he just, he trained himself to just freestyle about everything. Like, you know, that whole 10,000 hour Malcolm Gladwell perfection law. Mm -hmm. That's what Tariq was about. So constantly freestyling, constantly, constantly like sharpening his skills. So yeah. Um, well, mission accomplished. Sports article saved us, you know. Mission accomplished. I, I and again, you know, for me looking, you know, from the outside in and being, you know, a kid running the five boroughs and seeing, you know, Cubmaster DC and and seeing, you know, Grandmaster D 
mm-hmm. and watching Houdini, you know, lift D up as he's turned. You know, I remember this one time Cut Master DC came to my um the <laughs> the MLK Center in Long Beach. Me, Zevlovex, Subrock, mm-hmm. the whole GYP, we all went. And our homeboy, who was like, he was the dude in like Long Beach, Far Rockaway. His name was Grandmaster Reggie Reg and the Playboy Club. Okay. Like he was our, he was the trick DJ in our hood. Mm-hmm. And come as to DC as Brooklyn in the house, huge record, like 83, 84. And he, sure enough, like in the middle of his set, he's like, yo, anybody think they can beat me? Come up. And I'm sure, <laughs> and, and of course, Reggie Reg goes up there. And mind you, you know, he's on DC's turntables. He's trying to move his turntables. And DC's like, nah, homeboy, you don't touch my turntables. Like, you you do what I, you know, you want to battle, you want to battle, you battle, like, right now. And my man was okay. You know, and we're like, oh, oh, you know, trying to hype him up. Right. Yo, this dude starts taking out, like, accessories. Like, DC pulls out a basketball, starts scratching with a basketball. You mean Cutmaster DC, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Funk, Funky Fresh? Yes. Cutmaster DC? Yeah, that Cutmaster DC. Wow. Okay. Then he takes his Fila sneaker off. And on turntable, on the right turntable, he's got his sneaker in his hand. And he's going, fick, 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 Funky Fresh. And in the left hand, he's got a basketball. And we're like, how is this dude ever going to live this down? Like, he'll never live this down. Never. Never. Right? Never. Right. And we were just like, okay, you know, he got served. It is what it is. And then I went to Atlantic City with him. Um, choice. He, he had a group called the Choice MCs. We went down to Atlantic City. This is like now 85. Okay. But, and you know, Atlantic City is what, 90 minutes from Philly? It's not. Yeah, it is. Less, less than 90 minutes. Right. Like, so he's doing hour. the show. Brooklyn's in the house. He's at a club called Club Brooklyn. On Atlantic Avenue in Atlantic City, Club right. Brooklyn, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, and he does the same thing. Yo, anybody want to battle me? And this young kid says, "Yeah, I want to battle you." And he goes, "Yo, what's your name?" And he goes, "DJ Miz." Uh oh. And we're like, "Okay, you know." He's like, "All right, Miz, go get you, you know, do your thing." And none of us had ever heard of DJ Miz before. It's 85. Like, we never knew, you know, who Miz was going to become. World DMC world champion three times in a row. New music seminar champion, 87, 88. Like, he was just some 15, 16-year-old kid smoking dust in, in, in the club. Right. He pops out his own cartridges. He had them on him? On him. On his person. Like, like ninja style. And DC was like, oh nah, homeboy, you're not, you're not, you're not putting your cartridges on. And he, as a 16-year-old <laughs> kid, he goes, Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. And totally does what Miz does. Right. Triples, behind the back, between the legs. Didn't matter the height, didn't matter the setup. Just crushed D, just decimated because D come as to DC was grateful left and right. And he right. was great for some crossovers and some switches, but he was not Miz. And I was like, okay, this kid is a fucking problem. Right? So wow. I go back, I'm telling all my boys, yo, there's this dude. I couldn't remember his name. I think I called him Magical, or I think I called him Maestro. I didn't remember his name, DJ Miz, right? Mm-hmm. But I just remember, and then two years later, 
seeing Jazzy Jeff doing the Bluebird scratch in, in Union Square, and then he wins the Battle for World Supremacy. You were then, in the Union Square audience that night when he was doing that stuff? Oh, yeah. The first time that Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were ever performed in New York was at wow. Union Square. I have the Lawrence Goodman pop art vinyl that Fresh Prince and Jeff signed to my brother, Dear Larry, best wishes, Fresh Prince, right? First time they ever performed, he did right. the Bluebird scratch. I'm like, oh, the world is a problem. Philly has the best DJs in the world, period. And nobody's trying to hear me. Clark Kent is like, yo, fuck Philly. And then all of a sudden, all them <laughs> Philly DJs are in his house in Brooklyn. Like, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, there was all this thing. And it was just like, and then Three Times Dope comes out. Mm. And No Dividends comes out. Schoolie's already a problem. You know, um, Hilltop Posse's already a problem. And I was having this conversation with, like, Mark Byers, Taib. I was having David Dix, like all these guys from back in your day that you know from Philly and, and yeah. all of that. And they're like, yo, Philly really doesn't get its propers in terms of DJs and MCs. Like they really don't get what they just deserve. And I always found that to be interesting because I, because of where Philly was in proximity to New York, I always mm -hmm. kind of felt the opposite. I always felt like, okay, I don't see them as the bastard stepchild. I don't see them as the stepchild, you know, because I see them as just incredibly talented MCs and DJs that are down the I-95. They're just up the block, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was telling somebody, and I wanted to share this with you because maybe you're a little younger than me and you don't remember, but there was a period of time around 88 where the city shut down every hip-hop club in New York. Yeah. The summer of 88, there was nothing. And y'all came down. Yep. And where do we go? After midnight, midnight. After midnight. Lady yeah, B. Midnight. Now, Lady, uh, then turn into DJ the school. Ran. Right. Yo, right. So it was the only place we could go. So it would be me, Chuck D. It would be Kane. It would be Latif. Mm -hmm. Lakim Shabazz. Like, we were just making the run. And we would just be like, oh, we're passing your crib. We're going to pick you up. Oh, we're going to, you know, like we would go down I-95 and whoever was on I-95, we would just pick them up and then we'd go to after midnight. But you'd get there like two o'clock in the morning thinking that, oh, okay, it's about to be a wrap. Shit just started popping. Yeah. It just started popping. What, do you have any memories of those days? Like, you want to know something? Please. Um, out, out, of the, out of the two members, out of me and Tariq, um, Definitely, I would say Tariq would definitely have more memories of After Midnight. My connection to the After Midnight was that, of course, before any New York luminary ever went to the After Midnight, they had to stop and pay a visit first to Lady B on Power 99. So, no question. What Red Alert was for you guys before he went to Latin, before he went to Latin Quarter you had to come to street beat and pay homage to, you know, to pay your propers to lady B mm -hmm. and then you go to after midnight. But, um, you know, between after midnight, um, there was also like, uh, the 52nd street. Why? Um, also girls high, high school, um, kind of when Tariq and I first started, that was just about to end. Like my parents definitely were like super strict and not letting me go to, you know, those those uh, those night spots. Mm -hmm. 
And then by the time I started going out and hanging, um, they already started the, the sort of the gentrification process. So, you know, I started going to after midnight when it turned into the spaghetti warehouse, you know, like right. <laughs> it was this folklore, but uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of those. I have a lot of those, um, you know, mixtapes of, of like, of, well, you know, it's, it's weird now. Victor Duplay is proprietor of a, a night spot in Los Angeles called Kiss and Grind. And if you watch the show Insecure, all the main characters always talk about going to Kiss and Grinds. That's like their, that, that's their uh, Latin quarter. So um, Victor spins there. And, you know, but Victor used to be an apprentice of Jazzy Jeff. And so there's like mad tapes of Victor Duplay, of, of the aforementioned DJ Miz, um, Cosmic Kev, um, still doing his thing in Philly right now, um, Cash Money, you know, just like a lot of, of legendary like Philly tapes. So I studied those tapes. I did not set foot in the after midnight because, you know, my, it, my parents weren't playing that. But it sounds like to me that you're just co-signing the fact that I'm saying that D they were better DJs in Philly than musicians. So thank you for that. Whether that's true or not, I don't care. I, whether, whether it's true or not, I don't care. You know, I love Philly Sound. I love Gamble and Huff. But you just co-signed with John Coltrane and 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 also ah, you know John Coltrane. We also gave the world Billy Holiday. Coltrane, Schmoll Train, Holiday, Schmoliday. Hey, you know, Miz, Miz is the business. No, no, no. I'm just. Obviously. No, definitely. I think the world doesn't know that Philly DJs are, you know, are unsung. Well, are I will tell truly. you now that we just got a shout from Australia. Mm -hmm. There's somebody who just gave us a shout that says, thank you for putting me up on Philly's finest. So nice. Um, so nice. Somebody from Australia is showing. Oh, oh also, we got we got to pay respect to um, DJ Spinbad, who um, oh, yeah, also yeah. recently just passed away. I think Absolutely. like uh, a month ago. Correct. Um, Spinbad was also, you know, cutting his teeth in, in Philly hip hop history. And Heavy. then he went to DJ for, well, before uh, he went with Bell, but DeVoe, he was like New Edition's uh, DJ. Yep. First time I seen like an R&B group employ a DJ. Like that was very <laughs> unusual. It was, but. it was extremely unusual. But, and the other thing that I loved about Spinbad is that he was the first person to really to me incorporate like great 80s alt rock with great 80s hip hop like he would do great mixing together stuff. simple minds with like you know oh oh the, the 80s mixtapes yeah 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 i have okay. a i have a thumb drive that i was i was telling the story when he passed i put it up on my ig that my my wife and i were in uh, la in the in the airport and we saw him mm -hmm. and chantel and i both told him how much we loved his lens and he gave me a thumb drive Green DJ spin bad thumb wow. drive, like six hours of music on it, and oh, like we just, yeah, we just plug it That's in well. and listen. Yeah, it's 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 dope. Speaking like, of which, speaking yes, of which, um, also I have to say, um, another notable dope Philly DJ that I don't credit enough, um, especially since he passed away. Um, I I got to give props also to uh, DJ AM. Oh, yeah. Because the weird thing is that I first saw AM DJ um, when when my beloved Eagles made the um, made the Super Bowl 
back in 2000 and either 2004, 2000, I think 2005. And um, I didn't know about him at the time. Like I, I wasn't familiar. And when he came in, it was sort of like, you know, he was doing his regular EDM thing. And so this is the weird thing about DJs um, because you can either serve yourself or I'm sorry, serve the, serve the people who's in the audience dancing. Mm-hmm. Or you could resist the temptation to try and press whoever's in the booth watching you. And that happens to me like all the time. So it, it's a thing where, um, you know, he was doing his regular EDM thing and he looks to the side and sees that me and Tariq are inside the DJ booth and he just does the crazy, he does the craziest <laughs> like. Can I show you the white boy face when you're like just shocked? <laughs> the blue exactly. eyes they give it away it's like oh yeah like he looked yeah. and i saw that look on his face and then he just <laughs> totally it's it's like he went back to philly but the thing was that he showed me was he did the craziest open format like he redefined to me what open format djing was and that night like changed my life because i didn't realize like oh he could play boogie down productions and he could play daft punk and he could play James Brown and he could play uh, like the police and then he can go back and play Rod Stewart. But then he can start playing Madonna like he was just going all over the place and it seemed mad random, but it made sense. And I'd never seen a DJ just tell a story before, like he was educating people without them knowing it. And then that that really made me take the art of DJing seriously. Like I'd never seen someone do open format to that level, so yeah, I got I got to give uh, not not much is uh, said about just how he redefined open format DJ, which you know I take advantage of to this day. So there's no DJ set I don't do that doesn't include Benny Goodman, Andrick, and everything in between. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I uh, one of my personal favorite open uh dj sets that you did is i had a pro- pleasure um and again you've been so good to my family and me and i can't tell you how much my family loves you for that but jimmy fallon was down here in orlando uh we brought the family to see him and you Yo, were doing i forgot it. about that i was like wait you saw me spin before <laughs> yeah i've <laughs> totally seen forgot spin, i've seen you spin more than a hand yeah I, I forgot these but things. yeah but but I'm going to keep it gangster right now because this was one night I was like, you motherfucker. So you're doing the social uh, in Orlando after yeah. Fallon. My wife and I, you set us up lovely. We had this really nice little corner set up. We're directly across from you. And I'm like, wow, this is really nice. You know, we have bottles of water. It's really nice. I have my people. And you say, yo, I want to welcome my man, MC Search. His beautiful wife is here. His homies are here. Search, this is for you. Dung 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 ice and you start laughing and I'm like you motherfucker yo I think I lasted about five minutes on that set and I blazed like I was like I'm out and Chantel's like laughing her ass off and I'm like oh you're laughing at me too oh I see I'm a joke to you I'm a clown I make you laugh but the thing that was funny about that and you said something in an article about three months prior to that, you said you watched the culture change to seeing 
vanilla ice uh, be something that was like almost like an antichrist to now it's a record that makes people happy. Dude. And I think and I think it's really something that really speaks to your level of appreciation to how music grows and matures. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that the records that I mean, there was a time and a place where you where the wrong record could be a problem inside the nightclub. And, you know, it's weird. Um, I got to speak to Dr. Dre about this as well. I started, once I started um, interviewing a lot of producers on on uh, my Questlove Supreme podcast, um, I noticed that the common denominator between all the great producers is that they had to put in 10 years of work 10 or more years of work as a DJ. And there's a pressure on you as a DJ to keep the party going and to not lose the party. Um, that can only make you a better producer. And I realized when Dr. Dre was telling me, he was like, when I'm DJing, when I was a teenager, DJ in, in South Central, um, it's 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 a different type of pressure on you where the wrong record could actually get you shot. So when you're <laughs> DJing, when you're DJing under this duress of this, and you know, I was asking about his yo, just, yo, dude, that's facto right there. That yeah. is facto. He in, in that moment, and so I was I was asking him about the moment um, in Straight Outta Compton where he talks about like he used to do those, you know, the, those. Uh, what we call mashups now, where he would take like a Marvelettes record, Mr. Postman, and blend it with Planet Rock or like do, you know, a crazy mix. And he was just like one false move and that was it. Like the cl club was getting shot up. And so I feel as though that's why he has excelled so much as a producer. Because mm -hmm. you have to every every brick by brick of song that you built in the nightclub that's why i can't even imagine that's why i really want to talk to red alert because i know i want to know what it's like for him to play where every song was a history maker and he's the first one mm. to introduce that song okay two very key prominent figures in hip-hop that i know were incredible showmen, but there is no recorded document of them at their height, at the at at their at their like at their at their pinnacle. For me, is as an outsider, not ever being in New York at the time. You know, Grandmaster D rarely scratched on Houdini records. Until, until Open Sesame. Until the, the, the self-titled record that everyone forgets about, the Escape record, and Back in Black, like, he rarely displayed his skills. Not in a way that, like, Jam Master J was doing on Peter Piper and all those things. Right. So a lot of us were, like, we were always here, like, yo, Grandmaster D is incredible. Incredible. You got it. Mm -hmm. Right. But for, for us, we were, like, he doesn't do anything. Like, we he raps. 
We Fresh, were fresh, fresh I was brought to right, right. So, but, but he was, but he was the epitome of a live DJ. DJ. He was a show DJ. So he right. was a true, true show DJ. So maybe four years ago, finally on YouTube, I see a Houdini show and was like, oh man, I was wrong about him. Like we right. just, we just never gave him his props as a DJ because we never heard him right. mix and scratch before. And the, the second thing is that um, there is absolutely no documentation. This is what I always beg Prince Paul for. I've never seen a Stetsasonic show. It's nowhere on YouTube, nowhere. It's like, you know, Paul claims that, oh, yeah, you know, I got some videotapes of us in contact. Hook you up. Daddy, Daddy O has them all. Right. I've never more. seen because that. Daddy O is so smart. Stuff. First of all, Daddy O is so smart. He's smart to protect his intellectual property. I wish I was as smart as Daddy O. And, and it's just, I give him his flowers all the time because when I was coming up, and maybe you don't know this, but when I was coming up and I had my little you know record on Warlock, mm -hmm. I was doing my shows and he was like, yo, you need to come on the road with us. I was like, all right, cool. Thinking I was going like out of town. Meanwhile, on the road was like, I'd meet him at his house in Brooklyn. He'd take me to Jersey. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that was, <laughs> that was on the road. Tour. That was going on the road. But <laughs> what he would do is they would do Gostetza, right? And mm -hmm. they would do it and they would go into And then he, you would hear Daddy O go, yo, I want to bring my son out. He's going to dance. And right. everybody like, ah, and then I would come out. And then you would come out. And like, they would like, go white boy, go white boy. boy. And I would do the WAP and I would be like killing it, right? Like, ah. and then when I went to grab the mic, I'd go to like, you know, I'd go to grab the mic from Delight or Fru Kwan and they'd be like, the fuck you doing, devil? Get the fuck backstage. Oh, word? <laughs> oh, this and they didn't mean it. Let me tell you, they didn't mean it in any way but love. And but they were like, yo, you did not earn this mic. You're the dancing little fucking white boy that's our side hustle. So as long Get as you were dancing, you were cool. But the second you wanted to run. <laughs> I was, and I, my hand was thirsty for the mic. I was like, yo. And I will share this with you. When Fruit Kwan died, I went into like a depression for like a month. Like really? it broke me. It broke my spirit because I felt like he just did not receive the, the, well, now we call him the flowers, but he flowers, didn't receive yeah. the flowers right. that he deserved as an MC. Like to me, he was so special to me and he was so important to me and he meant just so much to me as an, but that whole crew meant everything to me. Like, you know, Wise and Fruquan and Delight and Bobby and obviously Paul and Daddy-O was like, you know, that was my father, like for real, like, like they really, you know, took care of me. Speaking of taking care of me, Angela Thomas is in the podcast room. Shout out to uh, the sweet and lovely Angela Thomas in Clubhouse, who was our product manager for 30 years. Oh, yeah. Shout out to uh, yeah. Tanya Pendleton. Yep. And uh, yep. Tanya Warren. Pendleton's in there. See some other people over there. Yeah, there's some good I people. I didn't even see who was following. So I, I was yeah. talking and to also, them. Also, there's so many people from like, you know, there's so many people that are like from around the world that are in here. Johnny... Lanzo, yep, album is dope, sick, out of this world. He's from like London, I think. Like people who are like this. You're worldwide, sir. You're worldwide. No, you're worldwide. I'm just connected to Mr. So wait, worldwide. I, I have another question for you. 
Am I doing, are you interviewing me? Because I know you're really good at this. I have, I have literally a list of questions. You're fucking my whole I game learned, up. But wait. go ahead, Questo, please. Go ahead. I, I learned, I actually learned this from Faith Newman. Faith Newman is the most Matrix bullet dodging question person ever. Yeah, no, I'm aware. I would ask her a question. And then she would ask me six questions. Right. And then like an hour or two, I'm like, wait a minute, are you interviewing me on my own podcast? And she's like, oh, time's up. Okay, goodbye. DJ Sandman, love. Shout no, but I, you, you mentioned sample. something when you when you talked yes. about um, Fruquan. And, you know, okay, so now we're, it's 2021. And, you know, there's about to be a lot of notable 30th anniversary stuff. You know, mm -hmm. Derelict's the dialect will turn mm -hmm. 30 yeah, this yeah. year and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Does... Does erasure or or the 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 idea of it does that worry you? Now I'm no. asking this. I'm asking this because I can answer it really quickly because okay. I have like, but no, 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 and I'll tell you why it doesn't. And and it's again, I the reason it doesn't is because I feel like the people that are still the authenticators of the culture. Mm -hmm. And the people that still have an authentic voice still haven't gone into that state of mental ketosis where they don't remember the things that are so valuable, right? Like, right. like I'll give you a perfect example. Since you've been doing so many name dropping in such a beautiful way with Dr. Dre and all the wonderful names you dropped, mm -hmm. I became really friendly with Johnny Marr from the Smiths. And obviously, Johnny Really? Marr, oh, yeah. No. I'm about to, I'm about oh, to. Oh, man, I, I, I love Johnny Moore stories. <laughs> so, uh, so Quest. arguing is my favorite stories of all time, but go ahead. Yeah, so the Smiths, we sampled them to death. They were, I mean, first of all, my bride, whenever I'm on FaceTime with Johnny, she can't even look at the computer. Like, that's how much <laughs> reverence she right. has for them. And we became cool because he was on the cover of The Fader, Rob Stone and John Cohen, who own the Fader, have been yeah. friends of mine since middle school. They were like, oh, and he mentioned just, he was like, yo, I'm so glad I got to do this because people don't ask me about how much I love hip hop. And I really love MC Search. I love everything he's done from OC to Nas, third base, Echo. Like he knew my whole shit. And they're like jaw dropped. And they're like, you know, that's our man, right? Mm -hmm. And he was like, get the fuck out of here, right? So we connected. We connected to the point that we're creating a band next year called the Co-Defendants. What? Yeah, we're in a, I'm actually writing an album right now with me, Johnny Marr, Brett Epic Mazer on percussion, Brockett Parsons from Your Neck of the Woods, from Philly Cherry Hills doing keyboard, Lady Gaga's keyboard player. We have a, we have a group. We've been working on music. Oh, snap. And jo so Johnny and I were talking about like hip hop and we were talking about the progression of hip hop. And what the thing about Johnny is he's, you know, a fan fan like not just of the lyricism and the inspiration that the artists mm -hmm. come from but how the records were put together the samples the equipment used all of that and we got to around to talking about derelicts dialect in the 30th anniversary and he started asking me all these questions like you know you know how did sam seva utilize this tool and how did you know i love how you guys utilize the queen is dead on this one and you know and, and he just went back and forth and back and forth right. and and it's something that i've always loved about you because you're an architect of the sample 
I love to call that. I don't know if anybody's ever called you that, but to me, you're the architect. The way I love the way that you look at music and that you pick it apart from, you know, even the amazing ways Jay Dilla kind of put beats together. Right. Um, rest in peace to like how some of your favorite producers. So my question to you is, mm -hmm. if there was a, a Johnny Marr record or a Smith record that you would want to incorporate in a Roots record, which one would it be and why? Yo. Okay, that's okay. That's 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 a deep one. I got it. Aha! I got you, you fucker. No, you don't got me. No, not even. No, I know. I, know. Um, I just, I just, okay, I just wanted to yell that for the sake of yelling it. No, no. I, I was about to say you least got to another tier with Johnny because the second, the second that he uh, came to sit in with us at a uh, the Tonight Show, of course, all we had were. Um, you know, at the time when his autobiography came out, right? Um, you know, we we just wanted to know Mad, uh, you know, Johnny versus Marcy uh, war stories, right, right, right. So, Which, and they're great, by the way, including including the Live Nation story. Yeah, and, I, I was about to say, like, like yeah. I, I I love their. I mean, there's sometimes. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's like you know, there's this charming man. There's, yep. I mean, how soon is now? Is like my favorite joint ever. So, well, that's my that wife's, my hey, wife's hey, favorite hey, joint. Hey, yeah, hey. that's yeah. I mean, and you know, obviously, we we ripped that record to shreds. I always felt bad, and I told Johnny this. Like, I really wanted to utilize "Hang the DJ," "Hang the DJ," "Hang the DJ." Like, I always wanted a way to figure out a way to flip that. To flip it. Yeah, because I, I, there was a part of me that really wanted to do a requiem to honor great DJs mm -hmm. and for all these other DJs that don't really carry crates. And I don't, and don't get me wrong, like if you're a new DJ and you're manipulating whatever technology, I'm not taking that away from you. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that. But there's a part of me that's like, there's certain DJs that just don't understand the mechanics of what it takes to be that great you know a funk master flex is on hot 97 for mm -hmm. 25 years not because he's just there right you know what i'm saying there's been a hundred other djs that were just as great that didn't get that spot the same thing that can be said about dj ran the same thing that could be said about greg street just as much as you could say dj monte is the best club dj in atlanta right now period like this i can tell you're a record man because you still remember the names of course i, I mean i still work records I, we still work right. you know me and nate bell the guy who's right in the middle i mean right. former senior vp of iheart is mm -hmm. you know when when nate left jlb on a thursday i hired him on a friday like that's my fucking man that's like you know that's my man man Smart, but um, but Yo, did yeah, Johnny but, ever tell you his naughty by nature story? No. It, next time he talked to him, he he talks about the moment where, um, or told us a story about like him sobriety entering his life and like his health lifestyle, mm -hmm. and for some reason, Vinny and Tretch were responsible for that. <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. That <laughs> is amazing. a beautiful thing, man. Where. Yeah, no, yeah, hip hop is a beautiful I wasn't thing. Expecting that at all? I'll tell you something else. Why? Why hip hop is such a beautiful thing. In 1996, I signed a group called Nonfiction to Geffen Records, 
and yeah, um, I signed I signed them to Geffen. And my philosophy when I went to Wendy is I said, look, nonfiction is going to be the Ramones of hip hop, right? We're going to put out everything through Fat Beats. You're going to fund us. We're going to put out everything through Fat Beats. We're never going to have a number one record, but we're going to sell millions of records. We're going to be the Ramones. Trust me. Right. And she said, yo, I want to I want to play something for you. It's this group I discovered in England. Now, I might have been really dusted when I heard that. I might <laughs> not have heard that correctly. Right. But she played me your album, which was the debut album coming out on Geffen. Right. And it was a live version of your album that got recorded overseas. Yeah, well. Can you explain that to me there? Yeah, please explain that to me, because then she played me the South Park demo. Of the right. video of v the VHS that Matt Stone was sending out to everybody where Jesus and Santa got right. into the beef that wind up getting, getting them their deal. Right. And I right. remember that. So it was literally, I'm playing the nonfiction demo, the first songs of nonfiction with like Gore-Tex and like, you know, with DR period that produced. Mm -hmm. She's playing me this record of a Philly group <laughs> that got broken that London. London. Right. And then... And then the and then the the first demo of this VHS that she got of uh, of South Park. Oh, the, yeah, the Christmas card, right? Yeah, the Christmas South card, Park, Christmas right? Yeah. Um. So the 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 shortest version of the story was that um. I we the groups the the roots were kind of a group in name only. We started in high school back in eighty seven, and like our high school, like our version of fame. Uh, you know, it Boyce to Men was there. Um uh Amel LaRue, formerly of Groove Theory. Um, every jazz giant right now in the jazz world, like was in it was in my high school. So if anything, Tariq and I were like the 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 late the 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 late developers. Like we were a group back in high school, but really not doing much. Mm -hmm. Um anyway, so when I'm auditioning for college, there's two, like I'm choosing between, uh, I'm choosing between um, Juilliard and the new school. And on my way to, on my way home from that audition, Tariq was with me. Um, a girl had approached us on the train and asked if I was the guy that's bucket drumming in Mariah Carey's video. And <laughs> In the Levi's commercial. Now, this this guy is notable. His name is Chocolate. I'm from the <laughs> but if you remember, like uh, Mariah Carey's someday, right. I ordered this story, and she's like, "Wait a minute, I'm responsible for the roots." I'm like, "Well, slow down." Um, so anyway, this the next day, um, we're in my living room, and Soul Train is on, and then the Spike Lee Levi's commercial comes on, and then that was our eureka moment, like. Yo, that girl thought that was you. So why don't we just do that? So cut to us busking um, on the streets of Philadelphia, like buckets and sticks and all that stuff, freestyling. Um, about a year later, we find, we we managed to uh, get a record deal um, in December of '93, and we signed to Geffen Records. How we signed it? How we signed to Geffen Records was like. A, a, a hail mary pass of a of a throw that got caught, which was basically, you know, that whole summer we were in a, a bidding war between like Tommy Boy, Electra, um, all these labels. We were about to sign 
to Polygram. Uh, our boy Kenyatta Bell, he signed, um, uh, helped sign Black Sheep and also mm-hmm. Legion yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to Mercury. Shout out to Kenyatta. He's a good dude. So we we were going to sign to them. They sent the contracts and all of our names were misspelled. So the contracts were null and void. And they were like, all right, well, we'll send it to you by Friday. And then you send it back to us. Something happened and they didn't send it to us on that Friday. They was like, okay, we'll get you on Monday. That gave Wendy Goldstein two days to come in and swoop. He drank her milkshake. Uh, she drank his milkshake. Literally, you know, we we did it for the free meal. Like, we was like, all right, well, we know we're going to sign up Polygram uh, Mercury on Monday, but she wants to talk to us. So at least we're going to get a, a steak and, and lobster dinner out of this because, you know, when record labels are courting you and all that stuff. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna bring you the big I, meal and yeah. for the free steak. Anyway, um all I know is that um all I know is that um we record this record and April, April of nineteen ninety four, Kurt Cobain commits suicide. He's our label mate on Geffen. And my very wise genius manager, Richard Nichols, says, Yo, we're about to be fucked. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, dog, Aerosmith has left Geffen. Uh, Nirvana is no more. And Guns N' Roses ain't no. They're about to be a rap, too. So we're about to be dropped from this label because three cash cows are, are gone. So we basically stole our our remaining budget money. And all I know is that we we just got these one-way tickets to London just on a whim, just got on a plane, went to London, got a flat, and we just got an agent said, work us. Like, we don't care if it's in. So we lived in London. Uh, from like 94 all the way to like maybe 97, 98 before we like officially came back home. But we just used Europe as the gym to work out any, any club, any pub, any basement, anybody that would have us. So like, yeah, people thought we were, we were pulling a Jimi Hendrix. People thought like we were a London group, but no, we just, we decided to just go to Europe to work out. And then come back home. Yeah, and and I, you know, obviously I, because the the one connection you and I have, whether you know it or not, is that your high school is like my high school, which was music and art and LaGuardia School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. So, no, I went to school with Slick Rick and Dana Dane and Jennifer and Anastasia. That's right. You are a La- La- LaGuardia head. What I'm was your first? I'm actually the first graduating class from LaGuardia, '85, really? very first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Music and art and performing arts became one school. Okay. So Ch- Chastity Bono, like that was all like, that was all like our mixture. Okay. But obviously I knew who you guys were because I dr- made that run to Penchahawken with a young artist named Nasir to take him to sign a rough house. And when That's I right. was down and, and we spent, it was so funny. I remember the first time me and Nas drove down to Penchahawken to meet with Joe, the butcher, Nicola Joe and, the butcher. and Chris, Chris Schwartz, um, Chris Schwartz. We were on the way down there 
And Nas was kind of nervous. He was like, yo, where the fuck you taking me? Like, there's nothing but like trees out here. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't even know where we're going really. But, you know, we went out there and I was obviously cool with, you know, Ran and, you know, Lady B, but also Jeff. And so I'd always known, and also Boys to Men, which is another funny story to this day, mm -hmm. like Nate and I laugh about, like talking about the roots and Jill Scott and like he right. put me up on everything. Um, because those are our those that's family to this day, like Wanye and and Sean. Um, so I always knew who you were. So when Wendy said to me, like, "Oh yeah, they they, they broke in London," I'm like, "No, they didn't." Like, that's one of the dopest Philly MCs ever. That's like you know. So fast forward, you know. So you put out two, three albums. This is one of my favorite stories. Again, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm just gonna tell it the way I remember it. Okay, hit me. So one of the things that Chantel and I did when we lived in New York is we became on the board of uh, directors of a non-for-profit called Rock and Wrap It Up, which is now one of the largest uh, food uh, salvaging programs in the world. Mm -hmm. We deliver somewhere between 50 and 60 million plates of food a year. Okay. But at the time, we were a small Long Island you know, setup. Me and my man, Sid Mandelbaum, his wife. But one of the venues that we would pick up from all the time was Jones Beach. Jones B. Sid. Oh, boy. <laughs> Don't go, oh, boy. Let me at least finish the story. I was like, wait a minute. The story. Are you about to tell the Jones B. story? <laughs> I'm going to tell the Jones B. story. So Chantel and I are, are backstage. Um, and Chantel is pregnant with our second. Mm -hmm. And you guys are going to perform. And you're with Erica Badu. And it was so cute. Because it was so cute. Because Erica is like, oh, my God, I want to have a baby so bad. And little do we know, three months later, four months later, you know, mm -hmm. she's going to have a baby. And Seven was born soon after that. But we were backstage and we're waiting for the food to get delivered. And one of the nice things, once again, you did, it was like, oh, shit, sir, Chantel, stay for the show. They, had, You know, and they had this really cool setup where you could go backstage, but it was really up. Like it was above right. the stage and you could watch right. the show. So I see Tariq's like roadie or intern or whatever going to get a bag, right? Yeah. Now, listen, what <laughs> I said to her is I said, miss, do you need me to go to the bus and help you? And she said, no, I got it. I said, you sure? And she said, well, and as I got up, Chantel said, no, 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 no. Let her go do her job. Yeah. This is our one of our tour managers, uh, Toya. Yeah. So she, Toya. So, oh boy. so she goes into the van and she gets a backpack for Tariq, comes through the metal detector, metal detector goes off. Yep. They open a bag oh and in boy. the bag is Tariq's ratchet, which is by legal in the state of Pennsylvania, right. not legal in New York. Yep. So I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. Oh, I so, know. I know you're so, all in this story. <laughs> so he gets locked up. Yeah. Right. They lock him up. And you had PDPD with you. And I go to Toya and I said, yo, Toya, I know all the words. Put me on stage. I, I can perform for the roots. I can, I can. Chantel looked at me like I was out of my mind. But I was dead serious. I was like, yo. So then I figure, okay, I'm going to help. <laughs> right. Out of jail. Because you I did. know. I know all the cops. So Sid Mandelbaum and I talked to the officers. Of course, we didn't get him out in enough, but we helped facilitate him getting out in the whole thing. Well, you got him out in, in less than 
10 hours. So 10 out. hours, right, right. And and that's really, it was re- really not me. I got to pay homage to Sid Mandelbaum because we were so tight with everybody and they knew like all the intentions were good. They knew that he wasn't. Right. It was at a time and a place where they were like, look, we got to do our job. And that's really what it was. They were like, look, right. we got to do our job. But yeah. I was so geeked <laughs> at the opportunity of rhyming on stage with the Roots. I literally convince myself that you would allow me to do that and it was the biggest dummy move like Chantel was so embarrassed so I wound up just like packing the food and all that I wound up missing your show because I was about to say you missed the show to go get Tariq out right right because all I remember all I remember from that show was um right before we went on Dice Brawl was like all right I'm gonna do this and I was like (laughs) Dice, you're going to do this by yourself. And then he started to think about it and he started wheezing because he's <laughs> asthmatic. And so he gets his inhaler. And I remember telling Dice, Dice, bring that inhaler on stage. That, that works. That works. He's like, huh? I said, trust me. Just bring the inhaler with you. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm nervous right now. Um, and then he started wheezing. And the second he pulled out that inhaler, like the whole audience was like, oh. <laughs> The other thing and that I'm I remember, I'm like, yeah, Dice, all right, all right, all right. just, right. Just, I got, and I got back to the show just in time for Erica's set, right. briefly, right. And she had, I'll never forget this. So she was, there was the audience, and the audience was really mixed, but it was predominantly black, mm-hmm. Latino, but there were some white people. And what I remember is she had the giant onk. Remember, she had the onk that she would right. bring on stage yeah. and describe how the onk pointed to three sixty, mm-hmm. you know, three. Right. I remember looking at people that were next to me thinking that she was <laughs> practicing voodoo. Right. Like oh, they yeah. were so like taken up. Yeah. Like like they would just didn't know what to make of it. And I I just remember going, white people. <laughs> you you should have seen how that worked down south. Like literally any anytime she spoke that 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 tour. It was like Mother Nature was talking. And I have, you know, again, I one of my other favorite memories, and again, I don't know if you remember the detail of this, but it was the last time that I tried to put the group back together was 2000, third base. Oh, yeah. So I had my daughter, my youngest daughter was on the road with us. And we went to, it was uh, like three weeks of shows. It was you and D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were drumming for D'Angelo. I had Mayana, Chantel was with me. Mm-hmm. We were gonna. That was the time that I was gonna really make an attempt. Me and Pete were gonna do Ichabod's Cranium, which was the lost third base album, right? Right. So we went on the road with y'all, and I have pictures literally on my my refrigerator of you and Mayana and Christian San backstage at all of these shows. And one of the shows I remember that we did was in Sweden, and the outdoor Pete, show, right? Right, the outdoor show. Mm-hmm. Pete was late. He didn't make his flight. Something happened. And so I had to go out and obviously do the whole the whole third base thing. Right. And I said, hey, I said, you know, I got I got real sweaty. It was hot that night, whatever it was. And I said, hey, once y'all know I brought a beautiful young lady from America to come out here and say hello. Do you want to meet her? And all these dudes were like, yeah, yeah, right. And then Mayana comes out six years old with a towel and wipes my head. Right. It's just. You know, right. just the, you know. No, I thought she was about to do a comedy routine. But. <laughs> no, no. 
something. I was like, wait, she got in the comedy that early? But yo, Mayana, when and I don't know even if you remember this, but Mayana would go on every you know. But when you would play, she would purposely sleep on the side of the stage because your drumming would make her go to sleep. The vibration what? of yeah, the vibration <laughs> of the the oh, monitors. not the boredom of it all. Okay, yeah, no, not the boredom. The just the monitors. That so she would purposely like wait for you to play drums so that she could fall asleep on the side of the stage. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. my drumming was therapeutic. I have pictures with you and her and us from the time she was two years old. Jesus H. Christ, man. I, I lived a life. Yeah, you have. I Including lived. like, you know, Universal, when you guys play Universal or when you play, you know, anytime you come, you know, she's there. Yeah. And the last time we saw you live was December 29th here in Orlando. Jamel Hill was backstage. There was all these, you know, it was it was a really cool show. Chris Carnes was- Wait, the this DJ. was last year? No, two years ago. Two years ago, okay. And you were like, I, I just remember you were really like stoked because Chris Carnes was gonna get his friggin' solo. And it's literally on the call sheet. It's like, yes, Quest. Chris Carnes is going to get his friggin' solo, you know, because he was incredible on the turntables and on. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah, path. yeah, yeah. So that, and I, I just, I'll tell you why that show is so remarkable for me and why I remember it, and and talks about your legacy as a as a, just as an artist, but as a as a musician. Mm -hmm. That show to me epitomized the scope of where you guys have come from as as a band. Um, Thanks. I, I got yeah i mean it's Thank it's you. remarkable the depth of the musicianship that you guys have created with keeping things musical but kill, still keeping things extremely hip-hop extremely close to the aesthetic so what's the balance how do you balance the idea of a tuba of a baritone sax of a trumpet of a trombone of a kick drum of a you know a, a drum machine and right. and and definitely, if not top five, top ten MCs of all time, and that balance. Um, you know, we are at the end of the day. I feel like the roots are. Thank you, thank you for saying that. By the way, um, it's only because I love you. I appreciate the love, brother. Love you back. Um, I think I think that um, at the end of the day, you know, well, one, we're 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 a community. So um, if someone has like a, a talent or just something that I feel adds to us, then nine times out of 10, I'm ask you to be down, you know, come join us. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that as musicians, um, not only are we still like f fans of the genre, we're, we're still you know, I, I treat it like I still I still create things that I want to impress upon my 16 year old id, you know, and that's I think that's at the end of the day when you're creating stuff. You have to get to that place where it's like, do you guess do you still get goosebumps? Do you still get excited when you're creating something? And sometimes you have to know when to stop. I'll say that, um, you know, the time when my um, my manager passed away. Actually, I, I'll go even before 
2014 when when Dilla passed, when Dilla passed away in 2006, that really took the the that took the um the wind out of my sails, really. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to create anymore and it was just like, okay, I'll I'll do just enough for the roots and maybe every other year I'll do a, a vanity project, but you know, like my workload just stopped like screeched to a grinding halt um around that period and then when my manager died in 2014 i didn't i i didn't want to make any more roots records i was just like you know what's the use so what's really weird is that um i think in the 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 past three years um to have a break that long to to not create for five six years um has really lit a fire. I'll say that it started uh with with Tariq's uh hot ninety seven freestyle. Crazy. Um, that just that lit a fire that we needed so much to like want to do this again. So I know I keep promising people like, okay, yes, the album is almost done. The album is almost done. Like that's the one thing about my manager Rich. He knew when to tell us to stop creating. Like, okay. That's enough. Because without him there, then it's like, okay, let me top that last song. Let me top that song. Let me top that song. Mm-hmm. And even now, combing through, like we've been recording this record since November of 2016. Um, as far as rough sketches are concerned, there's, I, th- I think we're hitting 1,100 right now of rough sketches. 1,100 songs. We, the way that we create songs, um, even in our Fallon database, I think we're, we're, we're definitely up to 4,000 right now. Like it's not important for us to create. So it's 4,000 sketches or just demos, which it might just be verse yeah, chorus, sketches, verse, yeah, just chorus, are, like real rough jams. All right, uh-huh. that's dope. Let's put that on the side. All right, that's dope. Let's put that on the side. Now I don't like that one. Let's put, you know, but even now for like when I, when I'll say for like the last four months, I've been going through all those songs. And it's like, okay, which one can you not live without? Like, this is a good position to be in. Right now, there are like 28 of those 1,100. There are like 28 really mind-blowing, holy shit, I haven't had goosebump moments like this in a long time. Like that that sort of thing. So it's almost like, you know, how do you whittle it down to the perfect 12 or 13? So that's, it's a good place to be now. Like I can stop and just concentrate on what we have now. Right. And I think it will be dope. But, you know, it's also weird to. It's also weird to be in a position where Tariq and I. Um, you know, even though we're we're part of the creative team and all that stuff, like because it was such a community moment where we had contributions from like a circle of like our trusted non non uh yes men non yes men like very notorious for like nah man that that's not good like makes you work mm-hmm. harder um it's it's kind of weird to be in a creative position where it's now just the buck stops with Tariq and I right it hasn't happened for like 16 records so and I got I got to tell you and I don't mean to interrupt but his record that he did the EP with Ninth Wonder Oh yeah. Um, he was he was in a moment lyrically. To this day, I still quote 
Money's just a concept, never was an object, even when my mother was living up in the projects. Yo, sorry. Lights, he could have just stopped rhyming yeah. right after he said that. Like, that, I, and I always screw up the name, Joyce, Joyce Skyevsky record. Right. Yo, money is just a concept, never was an object, even when my mother was living up in the projects. I'm sorry, that is... That gave me goosebumps. Like, and you know, when we talk about, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I tell people even in Clubhouse when people send me music or when I'm looking for new artists, you know, I just signed a new artist named Surf out of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. First artist I've signed in 25 years. Like, you know, it's just because I got that same, like when he says things like he's got a song called Pushing Limits. And when I hear it, I just, I guess goosebumps. But that's the barometer for me. You know, if, if, right. if I don't, if you don't make the hair stand up on my arm, like I'm not going to waste my most valuable commodity on you, which is my time. Like I can't, yeah. like I can't, like I'm not going to get 1146 January 6th back ever. So if I'm going to make that time valuable, you know, I want to spend it with brothers like you. And you said something else about 23 songs. You know, we have Chris Rock on the show next week. And when mm -hmm. we were talking about, you know, the interview and we were talking about what I believe is the greatest hype man in the history of music, which is him on the Buster New ELE album um, and him doing that. He, it came from such a natural place. And I said to him, I said, don't you feel like the Buster album's too long? Like it's 23 songs. Like, I, I wonder if he could have done that into two albums or done like a part one of an ELE part two and a part three and... He said something like when we were kind of breaking bread, he said, you know, Search, when I looked at the project and he asked me to do that, he said to me, well, he's, he, Chris said to me in the, in the pre-interview, and I don't mind sharing this with Clubhouse mm -hmm. and everybody watching because it'll be on next week. He said, you know, I, I thought I was doing him a favor. And he goes, but after I heard it, I realized he was doing me a favor because he just uh. showed and proved that he's still one of the greatest MCs that I've ever heard. And, and a I consistent feel, record maker, which is hard consistent. to do, especially it's in, in this it's environment. Damn near improbable. I wouldn't say impossible, but Tariq to me measures up in that area. You know what I'm saying? Like there's Tariq, there's Busta, there's Nasir, there's Jay Electronica, there's Jay. And there's maybe a few from the 90s era that still, you know, obviously Mike with Run the Jewels is on a whole other level, him and LP. Right. Um, and that motivates me to do this co-defendants record because, you know, I feel inspired now. Like I got to step up my, my judge and get, and get my shit right, you know, mm -hmm. um, because if Tariq can still be spitting bars like that and, and Buster can still be spitting bars like that. I feel like I can contribute where I can. And especially now with doom dying, like I feel like I got no choice but to just, you know, give but, it a go. You know but, what I'm saying? Um, I, yes, absolutely. One of the, you know what? I'm actually yeah. glad you mentioned that because it's been a long time, you know, since since uh, the, the streaming age has happened in which... Um, you know, album album lengths have have become 
noticeably like um, more compact and more sh- shorter. So I was actually glad that Busta released a mammoth record only because um, in quarantine, I've done a lot of driving uh, mm-hmm. from where we were quarantining to like when I go to work or whatever. And sometimes it takes me like uh, anywhere between 75 to 90 minutes to go from at the time we were quarantining on my friend's farm mm-hmm. uh, to get to Midtown Manhattan. So like that was the, that album was the perfect soundtrack um, to do 90 miles an hour to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and you're absolutely right. And I got to tell you, you know, right. Buster's somebody else who, you know, hopefully is going to be on this, this season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just so, I'm so enamored with what you have done and how flexible you've become, you know, obviously made in America, the, the opportunities that, that have been presented to you, you know, one of my favorite things you ever said to me uh, was when I congratulated you on getting Fallon, you said, well, it's about time we got jobs. Yeah, man, about time we grew up and got jobs. <laughs> I'm like, yo, but you know what? It's so funny. I don't think of you as ever needing a job. You know, you sell out Radio City Music Hall. Well, you, you, you know, I need you them. write books. You curate, you know, cultural, you know, important, you know, things. You, you know, you make music. You DJ. Like, you know, you know, why hinder yourself to a nine to five? No, nah, I, I, I need. Um, I just, you know, I, I need. Uh, creativity is is my, that's my bag. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And. Um, it's weird you say that, you know, like, I know I've been world famous for like, just, you know, telling people, yeah, you know, I've got 19 projects here and 17 projects there. And, you know, it, it took this year in COVID to really like slow me down to just stop and smell the roses. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll admit that, um, you, you know, Gracie is, is a big part of, you know, stop. are you enjoying being in a relationship the way you are now? Because it's got to be absolutely got to be a You're point cheap. of that where I I I make no bones um, whatsoever about you know I don't I don't I think this would be a way 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 different story um, if. Grace didn't enter uh, my life at the time that she did. Um, I just, I just the way that I was a workaholic, and I'm not saying this casually. I think there would have been a a grim chance that I could have been, you know, easily. I mean, we all could, we all can easily have been a, a casualty of what happened this year. But I just know with the way that I work and really just not take care of myself, like not sleep, not when when you're living alone in your own castle, there's no one to like reprimand you or chastise you into a routine that's good for yourself. And, you know, more than, you know, she never takes the credit. She's like, you, you finally did the work, but um, no, it's just, it's, it's just things that, uh, that I don't, that I never um, bother to uh, not acknowledge, but 
just simple things like I mean, Grace is a person that will say like, you know, let's 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 take a hike up this mountain, just look at the stars and da 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 da. And you know, in the beginning, I was like, oh, that's dumb. Like, well, you know how many songs I can make right now? Like, you want me to walk two miles up this road and da 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 da? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, why do you want to do that? Because it's beautiful, you know. Yeah. But now, you know, that's that's the place where I am right now. Like, you know, I would have never. I used to laugh at people that like lived 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 on a ranch and lived in a farm and all those things. Like, what you meditate, you you do yoga, whatever. And now <laughs> I became. <laughs> now, Jesus. I became I've be, become an evolved person. That concludes part one. Make sure you listen to and check out part two. Scroll down to the Search Says podcast catalog and tap in and check out the second part of our interview.